Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you for your participation and help. Well, I agree with Mickey. Uh, Doug and John have just done a great job serving and leading us well as elders, and so I want to join him in thanking them, and I want to invite all of you to join us as we pray and seek the Lord about who should fill those big shoes that they're going to leave behind on the elder board. So be in prayer about that. If the Lord lays it on your heart after you review those qualifications, feel free to nominate someone for the elder board. Well, I want to say welcome. My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad you're with us. I want to welcome those of you who are watching on the live stream. Um, I'll be back to my computer in just a minute so we can continue to chat. Uh, but we're so glad that you're here to worship the Lord with us this morning. For those of you who are worshiping with us on campus, just a quick reminder. We do need to wear our masks the whole time we're on campus. We want people to be safe and healthy, and so help us achieve that by keeping those masks on uh, the whole time, especially while we're in the room gathered together. Well, I brought this out to show this to y'all. It says a big thank you, and it is big, to Fellowship Church. This is from the people who coordinated the diaper drive. Remember the diaper drive we did probably about a month ago, and we collected a lot of diapers, and inside this card it says, because of you, babies are dry and healthy in Northwest Arkansas. And I wanted to bring this just to say, there are actual people when we do these service projects who benefit from them. So let's keep it up. In the weeks ahead, we're going to have a bunch of service opportunities coming your way, and we're really excited about them. Just a reminder, Operation Christmas Child is continuing. You can still pick up a box if you've already got a box. Fill that thing up. Bring it back in the next two weeks. We're going to bless kids around the world with a special Christmas and 
the, the gospel message that will be included in every one of those shoeboxes. Another one that's coming up this week that we're really excited about is the International Student Christian Association doing a food drive. When Kevin Smith, the ISCA director, sent this to me, I was like, this is a dream. International students, we're passionate about. Feeding people, we're passionate about. Let's bring those two things together. So as you can see, this is not a bring the food to church deal. This is a take the food to somewhere on the trail near where you live. So look at those locations. We'll, see, we'll send those out in an email tomorrow as well. You can snap a picture of that slide if you want. But just look and see when they're gonna be close to you. Take them some non-perishable food items, and they're gonna distribute those to food banks at the U of A and in Fayetteville to feed hungry people. And so we wanna be a part of that. And so in the weeks ahead, there's gonna be more of these service opportunities coming. As a church, let's tangibly show the love of Jesus to people in Northwest Arkansas who need it. Well, this has been a crazy week, no doubt about that. But one thing I was thinking about was on Tuesday, when we went and cast our votes, we got to participate in the democratic process because men and women have sacrificed to protect that freedom. We're gathered today without fear because men and women have made that sacrifice. And so this week, we as a nation are gonna salute our veterans. And so this morning, I want us as the body of Christ to recognize those within our body who have served our country. So if you're a veteran or you're on active duty right now, would you stand up and let's thank these men and women who have sacrificed on our behalf. Thank y'all. And let's take a moment and just thank the one who's still on the throne, the one who's sovereign over everything. And let's give him the praise and the glory. Will you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for the way that you've blessed this nation. Thank you for the men and women that you have called to sacrifice on behalf of all of us. And so, Lord, this morning, we remember the ultimate sacrifice, your son, Jesus. His sacrifice changed everything. And so today we want to celebrate that. And so, Lord, I pray, help us put aside all distractions and see you more clearly and hear you more loudly than anything else because you're worth it. And we give it all to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, we want to teach you a new song this morning that we're going to sing later in our service. What we're gonna to learn today from the word is that we have a hope that is immovable and unshakable in our Lord. And this song speaks directly to that. It's a song called Christ, Our Hope in Life and in Death. And so what's gonna happen is I'm gonna sing it for you one time, and then we're gonna sing it a couple times together, and then we're gonna lift our voices together to the Lord this morning. So here's how it goes. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. So let's try it together. Try singing it with us. Here we go. Oh, sing hallelujah.
time. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Let's stand together and worship our King this morning.
Thank you.
and you reign, and you're worthy of our worship. We praise your name, and we lift your name high because of the hope that we have in you. What a joy it is just to come in here and just sing about you and think about you and be reminded of the goodness of the gospel. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. We pray that you would illuminate this text from the mid-first century, inspired by your spirit, and carried through the millennia for us. We might know you more. We follow you. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. It's always good to beat Tennessee. Um, feels good to beat Tennessee. And uh, I'm... I'm a, I'm excited just to get to be worshiping Jesus uh, in, in here with you guys. And uh, just before we get going, um, it's, it's, I'm Garland, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, when I knew that I was going to be kind of up the, the Sunday after this week, it's been kind of a strange week. And I'm sure there's emotion all over the place for not only people in our country, but in here. And uh, as I've been just kind of listening Hear some of the words. I'm going to put up some of the words of the emotion that I'm hearing uh, out there and even from, from a lot of us in here. And here's, here's some of the words that, that I'm, I'm hearing. Uh, just if I said describe how you feel, a lot of these words are the words that I've been hearing, not just this past week, but the past several months even. Words like angry or frustrated or apathetic now or afraid and fearful and anxious. I'm going to fall over this thing. And anxious, and while I, while I'm not trying to be dismissive, if these are some of the emotions that you've been feeling, I, I get that, and I understand uh, why people would be feeling some of these emotions. If this is what characterizes us, I'm just gonna, I'm not making a point here. I just want you to see that this is the thing that should be characterizing followers of Jesus. I'm going to put another column up on this side, and I just want you to see this contrast of these words. Can you put the next slide up for me, please, if you wouldn't mind back there? It'll go for me. There it is. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit, this is what characterizes followers of Jesus. Words like love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, trust, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I pray that this would be characteristic of those of us who are followers of Jesus, no matter what may come, right? And what we're going to do this morning is I want to key off this, this word down here on the bottom left, hopeless. Um, that might be how you're feeling uh, this morning. It might be how you felt the last several months. I'm not sure. By the way, I'm glad we're, we were clapping after singing those songs. Joy we should have. But if you're feeling hopeless, and I think I'm hearing this kind of emotion, what we want to do is we want to look and see what an unstoppable hope looks like. And what, so the way we're going to do that is we want to ask and answer this question. Maybe you never thought it before. How did a ragtag group of people in the first century who were following a crucified Jewish man end up challenging and eventually changing the most powerful empire in the history of the world. I mean, indeed, they changed the entire world. These people following this crucified Jewish man. And as I think about this, like think about the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter that we're studying right now. 
In the letter to the Philippians, Paul writes that letter from jail. And I would imagine it would be maddening trying to suppress this movement with this guy named Paul at the head. I mean, think about it. They're saying, all right, Paul, all right, Paul, we're going to throw you in jail for preaching about Jesus. And he's like, great, I'll tell all the people in jail. Then they're like, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. We're going to kill you. And he's like, to depart and be with Christ is better. Bring it on. They're like, fine, fine, fine. We'll let you out. He goes, more ministry. It's unstoppable. He has this unstoppable nature to him, and it jumps off the page as we look at this man. And what we want to do, it would be maddening if you were a Roman trying to suppress that. And what we want to do is we want to tap into that unstoppable hope. It's tough, and it's gritty, and it's available for you and for me. And we're going to do this by looking, by continuing in our series in 1 Thessalonians. Now, we're going to be looking at chapter 5. We only have two more in our 1 Thessalonians series and only two more in our clarity year. And so it's been, it's been helpful to have clarity in the midst of COVID, uh, if you're like me. And so some of that anchors us in the Bible. But as we continue in our series, what we want to do is we want to see where this hope stems from. And in chapter 5, 1 to 11, Paul is continuing a discussion he began back in chapter 4, verse 13. Here's what he said if you weren't here last week or you missed it. He said, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. There's something radically different about the way that Christians interact, not only with death, what we're going to see today, the broader culture as well. Look at it. For we believe, we stake our claim. For us, this is everything. We believe that Jesus died, and it didn't end there. And he rose again, that the tomb is not empty. It's empty, and he appeared and if the tomb is not empty, we got nothing. Now, I recognize that maybe you're here and uh, you got some questions about Christianity. Or maybe you're saying, I hear all the time, okay, you, you Christians, do you really believe like the universe was created by a personal God? Or you really believe that a virgin gave birth to a kid and you really believe that the Red Sea got parted and miracles, all this stuff, Really? And if you're here with that struggle or that question, we're really glad that you're here. And uh, let me just invite you, investigate the resurrection. If the tomb really is empty and Jesus really did appear, if that's a historical reality, think about it, then that means this man, this crucified man, is truly alive and reigns as the one who's conquered death. And creating the universe or virgin birth that ain't nothing than conquering death. Now, if that's not a historical reality, then as followers of Jesus, we would say, Paul would say, our faith is worthless. We stake our hope right here. It gives us a vision way bigger than the momentary things happening around us. And I think it's what just dri it drives Paul. So as we're going to look at this unstoppable hope, here's our three things we're going to be walking through. The first one's going to take longer, the next two will be shorter. Here's our outline of where we're going First, we're going to see that evil doesn't win in the end. Second, there's a king who won't fail. And third, we have a part to play. Evil doesn't win in the end. We have a king who won't fail. And then we have a part to play. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn there 
with me, and we're going to see how Paul unpacks this for us. First, we've got to look at how this concept that evil doesn't win in the end. It's going to be an anchor for us. He, he's, he's been talking about the resurrection and Jesus' return, and the natural question would be, tell us more about that, Paul. What's that going to look like? And he, he continues this discussion in chapter 5 and says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So as Paul begins to unpack more of what the return of Jesus in glory will look like, he says, you don't need me to give you more information. Remember, you understood this category. Not only did I teach it to you, but it's a category that you already get. Now, the reason it might not jump off the page for us is because this category flies right by in the text. You notice when it says, verse, verse 2, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I mean, I just read over it. And you, your mind not have been, might not have been triggered to it. In, in Paul's day, especially for anybody who grew up in the Jewish faith, which some of these, these followers of Jesus in Thessalonica came out of the synagogue, this is a loaded concept in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. It's got all sorts of, of ideas and pictures that they have a category for. And Paul says, you know that category? I'm talking about that here. It would be like in American culture today saying, you know that Independence Day is coming, or maybe better yet, because it's a little closer to right now, you know that Black Friday is coming. Like, when I say to you, we know Black Friday is coming, all of us have a picture in our head, right? Black Friday is that day that otherwise reasonable people become insane. You ever notice Black Friday? Like, I went and just Googled some of these pictures. This is the day when people get in fights over, like, TVs. This is the day that people line up and sit in the cold. This is the day when people stampede over other people. This is my favorite one on the right here. Like a full-on body, perfect body form tackle that we have right here. When I say Black Friday is coming in American culture, we know exactly what that looks like. And for Paul to say the day of the Lord is coming, they know the concept. So what is the concept? Let's try to make sense of it. The Old Testament is going to give us a story. And that story sounds like this. God created the universe for his glory and for our joy. But instead of responding to Yahweh as king and submitting to his authority, humanity clamored to define good and evil, right and wrong, just and unjust on their own terms. Humanity reached out to say, we will be our own authority. Don't you tell us what to do or how to live. And in so doing, what, what has happened is that first instance of reaching out to define good and evil on our own terms, it's become an infection that has spread to all humanity, where now we are clamoring for power at the expense of each other. Now we are fighting each other for who has the authority, who has the power. And as a result of that infection, we see all the brokenness, we see all of the injustice, we see all of the issues, all of the pain that is at a macro level and at a micro level that has infected this thing that we call the human condition. And what the Bible is going to say is God has something to say about that. This is not spiraling out of control, but one day at a macro level and at a micro level, all of the systems, nations that build themselves up on their own ability to define themselves, and then those who align with them, one day 
judgment is coming. One day, justice will prevail. We can see it clear in Isaiah chapter 2. We might just define uh, the day of the Lord this way, these three things. It's a day when Yahweh vindicates his righteousness, Yahweh brings judgment on sin and evil, and then Yahweh liberates his people. He vindicates that he really is the just one. He brings judgment on sin and evil, and he liberates his people. There's always this note in these day of the Lord passages that Yahweh's gonna save, he's gonna rescue out those who are humbly following him. It's a day when the proud are humbled and the humble are exalted. And the day of the Lord always has a near and a far referent. Now, that may not mean anything to you. Let's, let's, let's look at the near and the far. What does it mean to have a near and a far referent? Uh, if you've ever driven out to uh, Colorado, then uh, you've had this experience. First of all, you have to drive through Kansas, which is just excruciatingly boring, right? And if you're from Kansas, you know it's boring. Like, just be okay with it. You're, the, the place you come from is just a flat plain, and you, everybody wants to get through it. So you drive through Kansas, and then as you get closer and closer and closer, what you're gonna notice is you begin to see the mountains off in the distance. And as you see those mountains, it looks like they're all just stacked horizontally facing you. And they're all aligned looking right at you. Then as you get closer and closer, you're actually going to realize that as you drive up and around and through this mountain, then there's another valley behind that, and it's like a two-hour drive until you get to that next mountain that at one point looks side by side, you actually realize there's like a two-hour drive between them. If you could have seen it from the side, you would have saw it. But instead, looking head on, these two things, these two mountains look side by side. One is near and one is far. That same thing occurs with these day of the Lord passages in our Old Testament there's a near and a far. Here's the near, how it often sounds in the Old Testament. Hey, evil nation, if you keep going this way, judgment's coming. Guess what happens? We look historically. Judgment came, that nation got destroyed and taken out by another nation. That's the near referent. But the day of the Lord also speaks of this eventual day when God will bring his justice in this world, where his kingdom will be the only kingdom, and all things we put to right. Now, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to activate this day of the Lord concept, both at the near and at the far. Jesus, as a prophet to Israel, and obviously way more than a prophet to Israel, he steps in and looks at a nation, the people of Israel, clamoring for power, trying to overthrow Rome, fighting internally for who really is the chosen group within Israel. And he shows up, and he says, I'm the answer I am your king. And they say, no way. You welcome sinners. You're talking to the Gentiles. You look, no way. We got an agenda here. And notice what Jesus says. This is his near reference. He does this all over the place. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And this 
prophecy that Jesus predicts, it comes to pass within a generation. As what we're going to see is in 70 AD, the Roman government, they came into Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, destroyed the palace, and sent them all, scattered them all off into exile. It's the near day, a day of reckoning. But then Jesus will also speak to a far day. Look at Matthew chapter 24. He speaks with this apocalyptic symbolic language. After the distress of those days, he quotes from Joel 2. The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. One day, justice will reign in this world with Jesus as king is what he's saying. This far referent of the day of the Lord. Now, time out. I can imagine somebody in here saying, this seems a little harsh. Like, this is the part of our Bible that we don't like to talk about in modern American culture. Because we, we in modern American culture have crowned tolerance, acceptance, and inclusivity, no matter what you may want or what you may do as the ultimate king. And here we have Jesus saying, no, there is a day coming where evil will be dealt with and where justice will be done. Now, if you have that, maybe that concern, this seems a little bit harsh. Can I, can I just invite you real fast? Maybe it's only two people in the room. Can I invite you real fast to consider the alternative story? If there's not this day, consider the alternative story. Our culture tells this story. We are products of billions of years of time and chance only. There is no God, and if there is, it's a force or some power way off in the distance that we can never know about, never know him, her, it, whatever it may be. We are evolved animals only, evolved primates only, and smart monkeys, we might say. And you're gonna live your days on this earth, just one planet of lots of planets. Eventually you will you will live your last breath, you'll be put in the ground, and there's nothing more to it than that. No grander meaning, no grander purpose. The evils that have been done against you, there's no reckoning for that. The evils in our culture, the evils in our world that we see, there's never gonna be an, a, a moment when they face judgment, they face justice. You might as well either live it up as best you can, because the grave is coming, or if somebody wrongs you, you better get even, because nobody else will. Consider the alternative story. I just invite you, if you have that skepticism, to apply the same skepticism to your questions about Christianity to the competing stories in our culture. And maybe that gives you hope. Maybe you like the sound of that. But for a lot of us, I think that, leave, that seems inadequate. You're going to live, you're going to die, you're going to go in the ground. And all the visions you have of justice, right, wrong, good, evil, it's just an illusion. We're animals, nothing more, nothing less. What Paul, I think, is staking his claim on is the day of the Lord is coming, and it's coming imminently. There is this day when rightness, righteousness will be extended into this world. And for Paul, it enables him to look forward and go, this is not spiraling out of control. I've got a king who's on the throne, and I can trust it. And yet, he's facing intense 
evil. He's being in prison, thrown in jail, beaten, and he says, I don't have to go get even. That's not my role. Now, that's our first idea. I told you it's going to be longer. That evil doesn't win in the end. But second, there's a king that won't fail. Now, Paul is unbelievably careful in what he says in the next verse. Look at the next verse in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. You know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, peace and safety. The NIV is translating this word as safety. The ESV, NASB will take it as security, peace and security. And I think security is the right word. Here's why. As he says, while people are saying peace and security, who's the people? Is it just a random, just people in the world? I don't think so. I think Paul's being incredibly purposeful here. What's he doing? Peace and security was a slogan of the Roman Empire in the first century. Here's their story. Our Caesar is the divine son of God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the savior and rescuer of the entire world who brings a thousand-year reign of peace and security on the earth. Caesar is the divine son of God and the rightfully enthroned king of the world, and Caesar alone. Pax et securitas, peace and security is yours if you bend the knee. I think Paul is being really, really clever. While people are saying peace and security, the day of the Lord will overtake them. Destruction is coming for all who would exalt themselves at the expense of justice and obedience to Yahweh. He's being incredibly intentional here. Hear it. The day of the Lord will vindicate that Caesar is not king. Jesus is. The coming day of the Lord will show that there is a king who won't fail, whose kingdom will never fail. Remember in Matthew 24, when it says, there will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. This is ripped straight out of the Old Testament. What Jesus is saying here is ripped straight out of the Old Testament. You can write in your Bible, Daniel chapter 7. And I'll show it to you. Daniel chapter 7, Jesus is just taking that and saying, that's me. In Daniel 7, we see this. Daniel has a vision of human kingdoms who have exalted themselves. And then he says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the eternal one, the ancient of days, and was led into his presence. Verse 14 could all, all of the language of verse 14 could be said about the Roman Empire. It's what they said about themselves. But notice, he was given authority this son of man, glory and sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There's a king who will never fail, and Paul says, I hope in it. Now, we gotta, we gotta understand hope. We, if we're gonna have unstoppable hope, what is hope? Here's how, here's how we define hope in America. We say it like this, I hope the Razorbacks beat Florida next Saturday. Or I hope the weather's nice on the weekend. Or I hope I get the promotion. And it's, it's, essentially, 
Hope as a concept defined there is our wish, right? It's something we wish for. So in America, we use the word hope as a way to say something that we wish for. But that is not how Paul understands hope. This is not how the biblical authors understand hope. They understand hope not as something that they wish for, but as something that they wait for. Let me put it to you this way. Like, we have some kids in the room. Uh, I remember as a kid, in this time of year, especially as it got colder, I hoped for a snow day. No school. In fact, maybe a snow week. I hate snow now. But as a kid, uh, I hoped for snow days, which means it was my wish, right? I wished that that would happen. Now, that is very different from for me as a kid, then if I would say this statement, I hope for Christmas break. See the difference? One is something that I wish for, that I don't have much certainty in. The other is something that I wait for with certainty. Paul has that kind of hope in this kind of coming king. It's not something that he hopes it works out in the end, maybe. It's a certainty like Christmas break and it gives him steadiness and grit in the now. Now, here's, how we, here's our last point. Evil doesn't win in the end. There's a king who won't fail, and we have a part to play. In verse 11, Paul says, encourage one another. Build each other up with these words. This is supposed to be a message, a hopeful message of encouragement for you and for me, Paul says. What is he encouraging them to do? Look back at verse 5. He's gonna give two categories of living, two categories of people here. Look at verse five. He calls them children of the light. He says, that's who you are, children of the day, not like those who live in the night or live in the darkness. And if you wanna know what that looks like, feels like, look at the next verse, verse six. He says, so then, let us not be like others. He's gonna give us two mental pictures, I think, that are really important here. The first mental picture is, don't be like those who sleep. Ever fell asleep on your job? You ever fall asleep in the office? It's not a great moment for you, especially if you get caught or fall asleep in class. Just don't be like that person who fell asleep. Or he gets even more vivid. He says, don't be like drunk people. Don't be like that. Uh, Sarah and I, um, I'm ashamed to say, we watch the Bachelor franchise and Bachelorette franchise. And... Uh, uh, we like to make fun of it. I'm, I'm glad the current girl is off. She was annoying me. But uh, when we, if you're not familiar, just don't worry about it. And please don't judge me. Um, so when we talk about the Bachelor, Bachelorette uh, franchise, this almost always happens. Uh, the very first night, if you've never seen the show, they put the girl, it's one girl with like 30 guys. And uh, they have to introduce themselves. Then they go and have this like all night party where they're supposed to be learning her and wooing her and all this stuff. Well, Almost every single time, one of the guys walks in and sees the party. The booze, all the other guys. This is like a big party setup. And almost every time, some dude gets just hammered. I mean, just out of his mind. And they always get kicked off. Now, now why? They walked in, they saw the party, got distracted, and forgot what they were there for. And the girl is always like, get out of here. You had this moment to come and 
with some urgency, come and get to know me. And you got distracted by the party going on around. And I, I think Paul wants, he, he's using an image of a drunk person to get your attention. He says, don't be like that. And he continues, verse eight. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Let us walk with sobriety, with our wits about us, with urgency. And then this next verb unpacks that. He gives us a third image. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Here's our third image he gives us. Not, don't be like the person who fell asleep on the job. Don't be like the, the idiot who got drunk, but instead be like a soldier. In the Roman world of the first century, everybody knew who the soldiers were. Everybody knew what the soldiers wore. Everybody knew what their armor looked like. That's how Rome secured their peace and security, through the sword, through a spear, through crosses. And everybody knew what this armor looked like. And Paul says, look at a soldier. The soldier doesn't wake up Hung over, not put his armor on, then go try to fight a battle, it ain't gonna work. Instead, they get ready because they recognize that they're in a battle. There's an urgency to it. Now, we wanna close this, this uh, illustration up. I want you to see this is really cool. Paul uses this armor of God idea three times. The most famous is in Ephesians chapter 6 when he goes on and he uses the illustration, he extends it. Those armor of God passages, if you're familiar with them, if you grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Paul did not invent that. In fact, he gets it from Isaiah. Isaiah 59, here's our context. The Jews find themselves in exile in Babylon, and they're under the pain of injustice, and they're desperately crying out for somebody to rescue them. And look at, here's how we pick a story. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. Yahweh says, nobody's there to rescue. I'll rescue. Then look at verse 17. He put, Yahweh puts the armor on. God puts it on. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. The garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal, passion, as in a cloak. Paul takes this Isaiah passage where Yahweh puts on the armor to deliver and rescue. And then he says, you put on God's armor. The power and the security and the strength that is in the creator God, you put that on and then go walk and then go live. That power you get to put on I mean, Tony Stark ain't got no power except for his money till he puts on the armor. And then, power. You with me? And Paul is saying, Yahweh's armor, put it on. Now, I want you to notice we're in a battle. And the battles in the first century went much like how battles always go. Who has the biggest guns, the biggest swords, the biggest shields, the big. Look at what our weaponry is for this battle. Notice our weapons faith and love and hope. There's your weapons. 
not swords, not spears, not money, not political might, not lobbyists, faith and hope and love. That's how we win. And it shouldn't surprise us. Here's how we close. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples, and he could tell, I think they were scared. They don't know what's going on. It's Passover week. Within a matter of hours, Jesus will be betrayed and falsely accused and beaten and a, cr a crown of thorns shoved into his head and put up on a cross. And before he goes to that, look at what he says. I tell you this so that you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of courage. Why? I have overcome the world. The greater evil, the power that ensnares the human condition called sin and death, Jesus defeated it. He stared it down and he beat it through a cross. He walked, he is a cross-shaped king. He got a crown, but it's not made of gold. It's made of thorns. And we take up that victory with faith and hope and love. Not something we wish for, but something we wait for. And we go out with urgency today because he's our king. Are you with me? With that in mind. We're gonna sing that song that we learned earlier, and I wanna invite you to stand and sing this and celebrate our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Our hope is in Him and Him alone. Let's sing. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only
fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. We have a hope that isn't shaken. We have an end that has already been written. We put our hope in that this morning and this week. Fellowship Faithful, we'd love to celebrate what's going on in your life or pray with you this morning to my left, to your right, these doors in our prayer room. Um, we'd love to pray with you this morning. If you need that, go in grace and peace with hope. We'll see you next week.